One, two. in the book of Romans chapter 4 we'll begin to read in verse number 13 this morning on this Easter Sunday morning I want to speak to you on this subject experiencing the life of Christ experiencing the life of Christ Romans chapter 4 we'll begin to read in verse 13 I'll invite you to stand all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word well, Romans chapter 4 begin to read in verse number 13 the Bible says these words for the promise that would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith for if those who are of the law are heirs faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law there is no transgression therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised he, God, was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It, that's righteousness, shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, because of all these things, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that your spirit would move in this place today. God, I pray if there's one in our midst that has never turned and received you to be Lord of their life and experienced the life of Jesus Christ, God, I pray that they'll choose to turn today and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I pray if there's a believer in our midst who the reality of what Jesus has done for them has become cold in their life. They, they've become ungrateful. They've drifted from that place of complete surrender. They stand in need of revival. God, I pray you'll stir them up again through the ministry of your word today. I pray they'll turn from whatever sin exists in their life and they'll leave God in a right, revived relationship. And God, I do pray that as we leave this place this morning, we will be mindful of the lostness that not only is around us here in our community,
in our state or country, all the way around the world. And God will allow you to work through us and to speak through us daily to share this message of hope that we have of life that can only be experienced in Jesus Christ. Be Lord of all. Be Lord of the invitation. And we'll give you thanks for what you're going to do in this place today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says this. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to a man by the name of Abram. His name was later changed uh, to Abraham. This is what uh, Moses wrote uh, about him in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12 says this. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. James in James chapter 2 and verse number 23 writes this. It says, and scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was the friend of God. God called Abraham out of the land that he had always known, away from his family, to do something great and wonderful through him. It was through Abraham that he would birth the nation of Israel. And Abraham experienced some great and wonderful things in his life. But the experience of each blessing offered to Abraham by God, listen, it was dependent upon Abraham's faith and his belief in God's promised word. In our text before us today in Romans chapter 4, Paul uses the faith of Abraham as an example of how every person must also respond to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning, church family, those that are visiting with us. The most single most important decision that you will ever make in your life is what you do with Jesus Christ. It's how you respond to the message of the gospel. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 4 that Abraham was about 75 years old when God called him. And so God wanted to make a great and mighty nation out of him, but there was just one problem. He didn't have any children. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7, it says to your descendants, I'm going to give all this land that I'm showing you. It's, it's the land of Canaan. It was where Joshua would lead the nation of Israel over into. God had promised all those years before that that land would belong to the nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to make a great and mighty nation out of you. But he and Sarah, they didn't have any children. Well, in Genesis chapter 18, 25 years now have passed. And God reminds Abraham that I'm still going to make a great and a mighty nation out of you. Well, 25 years have passed. They're 100 years old now. Something has changed in their marriage and something has changed in their life that once had been, now wasn't anymore. They were older, but their bodies, parts of their life, were completely dead. And so Sarah didn't believe God. She laughed within herself that God said, you're going to have children because she was past childbearing years. But in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
And so something that was once normal and common in their marriage, it's now gone. Parts of their bodies are dead. But look what our text says in Romans chapter 4. Look how Paul uses this as an example to share with us how God can touch and bring about life where there is no life. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, again, the Bible says, It is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Uh, part of their marriage didn't exist anymore. Their bodies were past childbearing years. That part of their life was dead. But God said, I'm going to touch your bodies and I'm going to bring them back to life. Who, contrary to hope, Abraham just believed. So he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. God said, so shall your descendants be. And they didn't have any descendants. But God said, so shall your descendants be. Verse number 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Listen, verse 20 says, he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He just believed God. God said you're going to have children even though physically, friend, listen, they couldn't. But God said you're going to. And Abraham believed God. And the Bible says because of that, he accounted it to him for righteousness. Well, in spite of all the excuses to not believe and to obey the Lord, he exercised faith. Listen to me. He trusted God at his word. He believed and he obeyed. And God touched their bodies. And Genesis chapter 1, 21 says this. They conceived. They had a child at the age of 100. God waited till they were as good as dead to where he would get all the glory for what was going to happen. Abraham responded to God's words with belief and faith and experienced not only a physical healing, but listen, more importantly, a spiritual healing. The response the Bible says that he gave to God's word by faith, listen, God accounted it to him as righteousness. He literally, he laid it to the account of his soul. Like when you deposit a check at the bank, you lay that check to your account. God laid something to the account of his soul, and it was his righteousness. That was what was more important, was the spiritual healing. And so it's out of this illustration that Paul begins to share the necessity of every single person in like fashion with Abraham to respond to God's word concerning the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with faith and belief. Despite everything that you see, despite everything that Satan tells you, despite all that's in the world and the negativity and the false truth about Christ, his sacrifice, and an empty tomb, God calls us to respond to the gospel with repentance and faith to what he has said. And so to experience the life of Christ, Paul shares a word about Easter. He shares four different words. The first word that he mentioned, number one, is sin. Paul shares a word about sin. Now, that's not a word that's popular in our world anymore. But the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You see, the Bible defines what sin is, and it's simply that. It's it's, it's lawlessness. That's a definition of sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Listen to me, friend. God says, you need to hear this this morning. God says what's right 
and what is wrong. And it will always be that way. I understand we're living in a day where it's this, whoever riots the loudest and with the most destruction, that's what the definition is going to be of what's right and wrong. But friend, I want you to know, before the world was ever formed, God said what was right and what was wrong, and it's always going to be right and it's always going to be wrong. There are things that will always be sinful, and there are things that will always not be. And so God gives a clear definition of what sin is, what is right and what is wrong. Well, someone might say, well, you know, well, what's, what's the big deal about sin in the world? Or listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 2. Listen, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Now, he's speaking of the nation of Israel who had grossly sinned against God. Listen, this is what sin does. God says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The presence of sin in someone's life separates them from God. It's not that God cannot hear. It's not that God cannot save. But sin separates you from God's presence and all of his blessings in your life. Sin is unrighteousness, and it makes us unrighteous before a holy God. That's what the Bible says. And you have to, before you can come to Christ, you have to agree with what the Bible says about sin. But Paul also gives a word not only about sin, but about sinners. Secondly, notice that. Look what the Bible says in our text in Romans chapter 4, verse number 25. It says, Christ was delivered up because of our offenses. You know, there are guys running around with skint heads and uh, black t-shirts who are are cursing all Jewish people saying the Jews killed Jesus. Friend, nobody killed Jesus. He laid his own life down. He had power to lay it down. The Bible says he had power to take it up. The Bible says Christ was crucified. Look what the Bible says in verse 25. Because of our offenses. That word offenses means sin. It's not just our. You can personalize that, friend. Because of your offenses and because of mine, Jesus died on the cross. And so our offenses equal sin, and that sin, its presence in our life, look at me, it makes us sinners. That's how God sees lost people. Individuals whose lives are marked and marred by sin, and therefore it makes us Sinners. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 uh, through 20. Listen. Uh, Paul says, as it is written, there is none that are righteous apart from Christ. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps. Poisonous snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing, bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And verse number 23, just to remove all doubt, Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And listen to me, friend, that means you, and that means me. 
Because of the presence of sin in our lives, it makes us sinners. And God sees that sin, He notes that sin, and it separates us from all of His love and from all of His goodness that can be personally experienced. And so, all men are declared sinners. Well, there's two types of sin that we've experienced. First off, I want you to notice, there's inherited sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 uh, says this, uh, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we meet our great, 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 and many more greats, grandparents. At Papa Adam and Mamma Eve. There they were in the garden. The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God created, and there the devil entered the garden. God had given Adam and Eve the entire earth from the North Pole to the South Pole. They were to, to enjoy all the earth, but there was one tree in the midst of the garden. God said, you, not, you shall not eat of it, for the day thou eatest thou of You will surely die. And Eve was beguiled, Adam willingly sinned. The moment that they ate from that tree, listen, the Bible says sin entered the world. And because of that, friend, listen to me. You can thank your parents for this. When you were born, they gave you their sin nature. And if you have parents, if you have children this morning, you've been blessed with that, uh, say amen. Nothing they, this is no me. You passed on to them your sin nature. Every human being who is born is born with a sin nature. It's inherited sin. Psalm chapter 51 and verse number 5, David speaking about the night that he was conceived by Jesse, his father, and, and, and his mother. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. David's not saying the process by which he came to be a person. Isn't, that's a normal process in the life of a husband and wife. He's saying that when he, was, when he came to be, when he became a living being in his mother's womb, immediately he had a sin nature. And so that is inherited Sin. Uh, but notice what the Bible says about that inherited sin. Listen to this in Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. You know, people say, well, well, what's the big deal? You know, God loves me for... God made me this way. Boy, you hear that a lot today. I've just got to be me because God made me this way. Well, friend, I'll remind you again. God says what's right and wrong. We don't get to decide that. And so what the Bible says is sin is still sin. And the Bible says it's sin, and it's in my life. It makes me a sinner, and God sees me as something. Now, now listen to what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 5, verse 4. You, you, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. For now, don't you listen? God loves your soul so much that he sent... Listen to me this morning. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ to die in your place. But if you're still lost in your sin, God hates the person that you are as a sinner. Big commercial today is God, He gets us. Friend, listen, He gets that we need salvation, but He doesn't get the sin that's in our life. God hates who you are as a sinner. He loves your soul, but He hates your sin. But He loves you so much He died. So we have, we have inherited sin, but not only that, 
There's individual sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, for all have sinned. That's you. That's me. That those are choices that we've made to sin against the law of God and the holiness of God. And because of that, we're responsible for our sin. Psalm 51, uh, verses 1 through 4, David had made a bad choice. He looked at Bathsheba, who was not his wife. He looked again at her. He, he called for her. He had a physical affair with her. Then when she became pregnant, he had her husband murdered. And Nathan the prophet was sent. And he pronounced judgment and said, you're the man. You've chosen to do this. And listen, David owned his sin. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, Psalm 51, verse 1. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, bought out my transgressions. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He said, well, God, you just made her so pretty I couldn't help myself. Well, Uriah got to her before I did, or I'd married her. No, he owned his sin. He said, I've done this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Friend, listen, every single person has individual sin. And I know that we live in America, the land of the offended today, where everything that happens is somebody else's problem. If you can't blame it on somebody, just blame it on the environment and climate change. And that's the reason that it's happened. But I'm telling you, my friend, the Bible says, if you've got sin in your life, you're the man. You're responsible. You've made choices. There's inherited sin and there's individual sin. And the sin that makes you a sinner, listen to me, friend, third notice, it has a settlement. That's the question as you witness to people. Well, what's the big deal? It's my choice, my problem. Nothing's going to happen. Oh, no, friend, you need to hear this this morning. This isn't an old wives' tale. It's not tradition. The Bible says this, friend. There is a day coming in which God will judge sin. There's a settlement that's going to take place. All men are declared sinners because there's presence of sin in the world. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 this, that the wages of sin is death. That is the, cat, the check that lost people will cash one day in eternity is an eternal separation from God in a place that's called hell. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 5, the psalmist declares this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. That's the judgment seat of Christ. With, with those who have trusted Christ where they're able to receive reward and expend eternity in heaven, the Bible says the ungodly, the unsaved will not be there. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. You know, we're all here together this morning. I can't tell who is and who can't. Now, I want you to listen to me, friend. God looks down from heaven and he sees only two types of people here this morning. He doesn't see Republicans, Democrats, Northerners, Southerners, Tennessee fans, non-Tennessee fans. He doesn't see any of those things. Retirees still working. He sees two types of people, lost people and saved people. That's all exists to God. And he sees that. And he knows that. And one day, friend, there'll be an eternal separation because of what people do or refuse to do with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, a rich man died, a poor man named Lazarus who had faith in Jesus Christ, he also died. 
The Bible says Lazarus, who had faith, he responded like Abraham by faith to Jesus Christ, trusting him to be Lord of his life. When he died, he went to paradise. The rich man, he refused the grace of God. His God was his riches. And when he died, the Bible says, friend, he awoke in a place called hell. He was suffering. He was in torment. He desired two things. One, that, that, that Lazarus would bring just a drip of water to cool his poor tongue. For The Bible says he was in torment. But he also said, would you send Lazarus back to tell all my lost brothers to trust in Jesus because I don't want them to come here. I don't want them to come where I'm at. It was a place of suffering. Revelation chapter 20. It details what's going to happen at the, at the final judgment, the great white throne, where God's going to look through a book. And friend, listen to me. It's not the church book where everybody keeps their letter. Everybody says, well, I've got my name on the church book. Friend, that doesn't do anything but just ensure that you can serve and you're able to vote when we have to vote on something. It means absolutely Nothing. What matters is whether there's ever been a moment in your life that you've repented, you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, and then your name was written down in the Lamb's book of life. That's the book God's going to look through. He's not going to look see whether you come from a long, long line of Baptists, whether you were a good person, you, you, what you believe, it's what you do with Jesus Christ that determines where you spend eternity. And if you spurn the grace of God, you turn away from Jesus Christ. I don't say this. The Bible says there will be an eternal separation. You thought, well, I, should, I thought I was already separated as a lost person. Isaiah 59 says I'm already separated. Well, you are separated right now. But you're going to be eternally separated from the goodness and the grace of God. I want to see if I can give you an illustration. I've got a neighbor who lives across the street from where I live. And he's got a light pole in his front yard. And that light pole has a light on top of it. Thus, I call it a light pole. And it's one of those big lights with the little filament on top. And when the sun goes down, the light comes on. It's his pole. Listen. It's his light. But it shines over into my yard. If I've forgotten to check my mail, I don't have to get a Coleman lantern and, you know, walk out. My driveway is lit because my neighbor has a light in his yard that shines into mine. I, I benefit. I have blessing because I'm able to experience the light that shines from his yard. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14, Jesus looking at a group of believers who had turned from sin and trusted him, he said, you are the light of the world. You see, when a person trusts Jesus Christ, listen, Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to live within their heart. And spiritually, light begins to shine out of your life. You're, you're a light in a world of darkness. Your life is to be a blessing. And so if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you, the, the, the joy that you experience from that, that co-worker that knows Christ, who the presence of the Holy Spirit just causes them to be kind and gentle and to do their best as unto the Lord in all things, you won't experience that in heaven. The, the blessing of having that saved neighbor who is always so good and so kind and so concerned about you, the, the light that shines over into the yard of your life, you're not going to have that in eternity. 
Those of you who had a saved mother, a saved dad, some of you here this morning, you've got a saved spouse, but you just refuse to turn and trust Jesus Christ. The blessing of the light of Christ in your home, in your marriage, and in your family. Listen, one day it's going to be gone. Because all those who house the Holy Spirit, they're going to heaven. And all the people like you who refuse to trust Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in the darkness of a place called hell. Eternally separated from the light of Christ that is shown into your yard by default of God's goodness of allowing these people to be a part of your life. Eternally separated. You're going to be there. But not only that, friend, is there going to be eternal separation? But there's going to be eternal suffering. I realize society's tried to make hell into like it's one big spring break when you were in high school. You and all your buddies are just going to have one big beach party. Friend, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the fire is not quenched and life never stops. You die eternally, but you never really die. You're going to be in great turmoil, great pain, great suffering, eternal separation and eternal suffering. But fourth notice, boy, Paul gives a great word here. It's a word about salvation. He shared a word about sin. That sin that's present in our life makes us sinners. He shared a word about settlement. There's a payday coming for sin that's in someone's life they won't repent of and let Jesus pay for. Oh, but friend, if you'll only turn and trust him, you can be saved through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 18. Abraham, who contrary to hope, seen no hope, their bodies were both dead, in hope believed that they would be able to have a family, so he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. God said, so shall your descendants be. Well, they, have, they hadn't been yet. He didn't have a family, but God says it's going to happen if you'll just believe me. Well, look what happened in verse 19. Stay with me. This is the illustration Paul gives. And not being weak in faith... He didn't consider his own body already dead. He didn't look at what was. He believed God as to what could be. And so he listened to God, even though he's about 100 years old. And Sarah, her womb was dead. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. He was strengthened in faith. He believed God and he trusted God. He repented of his unbelief and he says, God, you say it's possible I believe, and God, I'll trust you. And because of that, friend, they were, they were fully convinced. Look at verse number 20, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Look at this, don't miss it. They were able to have a child, but there was a greater blessing. And therefore, verse 24, it was accounted to him for righteousness. They had to have a family in order to have an inheritance, to have all this family that would become the nation of Israel. But they had a greater need. Look up here at me. Their greater need was this. Abraham and Sarah, they had sin in their life. That sin made them sinners. And Abraham had a certain settlement coming his way because of the sin that's in his life. And what Abraham needed more than a family was salvation. And when he trusted God at his word, the Bible says God accounted to him for righteousness. That's this. Look, when God looked at Abraham from then on out, 
He didn't see him as a sinner. He saw the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what happens, friend, when you respond to the gospel with faith. God doesn't see the sin in your life that makes you a sinner that one day is going to take you to a certain settlement. Friend, listen, he only sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees now who you are in Christ. And now you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Abraham had inherited that same sin, that individual sin. He was a sinner. He was facing certain settlement, marked by eternal separation and suffering. But what God did for him physically, greater he did for him spiritually. And he imparted the life, spiritual life of God to him. And so Abraham's in heaven now because of how he responded by faith. But look what verse 23 says. Stay with me. Look at it. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. If you see that, say amen. Now, when I said look down, some of you didn't look down. Some of you are just sitting here staring at me like this. Look at verse number 23. Look at it. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Look at verse 24. But also for, what's the word? Us. That means me. But also for me it was written. For you it was written. God shared this illustration for us. Look at verse number 24. It, righteousness, shall, will be imputed, laid our spiritual account to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It, righteousness, the greatest need that we have. It'll be imputed to our life who raised him from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. John 10, verse number 18, he says, I've got power to lay my life down, and I've got power to take it up. The Bible says just like righteousness was imputed to Abraham, it will be imputed, it will be laid to our account. So that now, friend, listen, when you repent of sin, you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, God doesn't see the sin that's in your life that you inherited, that you've individually committed. He doesn't see the sinner that you are because of committed sin. And friend, listen, you're going to escape the judgment that one day is going to come against sin because now you've turned from sin, you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, and you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Look at the Bible continues to say in verse number 24, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. That word believes this. You need to understand this because this is where the devil wants to get some of you. A lot of people walk around saying, oh, look up here at me. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's a historical figure. I believe he died, and I believe he rose from the grave. It's in all the history books. I, I, I believe that. Friend, when God says believe here, he's not talking about a head belief. It's a heart belief. You know how, you know how far most people here in the good old south are from salvation? About 18 inches. They've got it right here. Look at me. But they've never received it right here. There's never been a moment that they've turned from sin. To believe in Jesus means to turn in sin and by faith, by faith, to trust Jesus to be Lord of all of you. The choir's music started out this morning looking back at what was Palm Sunday. It's what we celebrated last week. Oh, the crowd was so enthusiastic and excited. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't want a spiritual king. They wanted an earthly king. And Jesus continued to say that whole week, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. Jesus came to be, friend, listen, a king of hearts. He came to be king and ruler over all of your life. 
And so the Bible says in verse number 25, he was delivered up because of our offenses. Personalize that. Jesus was delivered up because of my offenses. He was raised up because of my justification. That word justification is a big word that just simply means this, friend. Just as if it never happened. When you turn from sin and you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, listen to what the Bible promises. God will look at the account of your life where sin used to be, and now that sin no longer is there. It's just as if it never happened. He expunges your record, and he writes down his righteousness. Well, where did all of my sin go? Where did all of your sin go? It was cast upon him at Calvary. He who knew no sin was made sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And friend, it just doesn't stop there. The Bible says not only do we, are we able to experience spiritual life, but look at verse number 1 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore now, once someone turns and trusts in Christ, it just gets better. Look, therefore now, having been justified by faith, that is responding to the message of Easter by faith, the gospel, now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now God doesn't hate who we are as sinners anymore, friend. He loves us because of the presence of Christ that's in our life. And not only now do we have spiritual life, look at verse 2, through whom now we also have access by faith into this grace that's God's unmerited favor, life, strength, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only do you have spiritual life, but listen, you can have life more abundant. Any of you ever have days that are difficult? Anybody? How about this? Anybody that never has a difficult day, raise your hand. We want to pray for you because you're a liar. Go ahead, raise it up. The Bible never promised, friend, that there wouldn't be difficult days. But God promised this to the Apostle Paul who was facing some hardship. He said, my grace will be sufficient for you. Friend, now you're going to have grace, God's presence, God's strength available in your life to help you through the challenging and difficult times of life until one day, look what the Bible continues to say in verse number 2, we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God that is till we see Jesus coming in glory to take us out of here to live with him forever. That's salvation. Salvation from sin's penalty, from sin's possession of our life, and from sin's presence ultimately one day. All of this, friend, is, is tied to our response to the message. Listen, Abraham turned from a life of sin and unbelief to God in faith. That was Paul's illustration. God shared an opportunity. He shared a promise, but don't miss this. Abraham had to choose to believe God, to have faith, and to turn from his life and surrender his life to the Lordship of Almighty God. Look at me this morning. Everybody look at me. If you've never truly turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, God sees the sin that's in your life today. And that sin makes you a sinner. And my friend, just as sure as you're sitting there and I'm standing here, there's a settlement that's going to come one day for the sin that's in your life. But God loved you so much. He hates your sin, but he loves your soul. He sent his precious darling son to die and hang in agony and shame and die on the old rugged cross that you and I should die on, but couldn't. He took our place. He laid in a tomb for three days. 
He rose from the grave in life victorious, and he offers to all who will turn from sin, that's repent, to agree with God you're a sinner and turn from it to him and trust him to be Lord of your life. He offers to all who repent and trust him to be Lord of your life a brand new start. Now, friend, I want you to listen to me. You can't find it anywhere else. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no person comes to the Father except by me. So I want to ask you a question. Look at me. Has there truly, really ever been a moment in your life that the Holy Spirit of God convicted you of that sin? You agreed with the Word of God that you're a sinner. You heard the gospel message that Christ died for you, that he rose again. And the Spirit of God convicted you and drew you to be his own. And in that moment, you truly chose to turn from all the sin and you surrendered all of your life that you need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you told him so in the simple prayer of faith. Listen to what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, that that in somewhat should sound like. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, listen, not the head. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confessions made into salvation. Has there ever really been a moment where you just prayed a simple prayer that was something like this? And you meant it with all your heart, because listen, God reads hearts. God, I admit my sin. God, I'm a sinner. And I realize there's, there's a settlement, there's a judgment that's going to come against my sin. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And as best I know how, I'm choosing to turn from all the sin that's in my life. And Jesus, I give you all of my life. Be Lord of me, save me. That's my prayer, Lord Jesus. Listen, if there's never been a moment where you didn't pray something that encompassed those things, friend, you've never been saved. Now, I want to ask you this. What is there in your life? What sin? Listen. What sin is there in your life that you're going to give up one day when you die anyway? You're not going to take it with you. What sin is there in your life that's worth spending an eternity in hell over? There's nothing. God loves you. Christ died for you. Will you not turn this morning and in sincerity cry out for salvation as you turn from sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? Respond to the message of Easter and experience the life, the life of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you not to grab purses, pack up bags, move... All I want you to ask you, I want to ask you to do is just this, to bow your heads and close your eyes very respectfully and very humbly. If God has convicted you that you stand in need of salvation today, would you not simply trust him just now? The opportunity is there, but you must choose to do it. Pray a prayer just like we prayed just a second. I'll pray it again with you right now. But you, it has to reflect your heart. Pray just like this, God Forgive me of my sin. I admit it. God, I'm a sinner. 
Lord, I believe what your word says. There's, there's a settlement that's coming against sin. God, I don't want to go to hell. God, forgive me of all the sin that's in my life. With all my heart, I believe Jesus died for me. With all my heart, I believe he rose from the grave. And with all my heart, as I turn from all the sin that's in my life, I surrender all of me to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Be king of my life. Be lord of me. That's my prayer today. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to stand our feet. We're not taking a head count. We don't have a book that we're going to keep all this in. I just want to be able to encourage you. I want to give you a, a word of encouragement of what God wants to do next in your life. If you prayed that prayer and you, you turned from sin and trusted Christ today, no one's going to see you. When, when we stand our feet in just a moment, won't you simply step out into one of these aisles and make your way forward and say, I, I, I did it today. I trusted Christ. I gave all of me that I knew to give to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you what God wants to do next. It doesn't stop there, friend. There's so much more now God wants to do. Now I want to share with you what that is. Child of God, you're here this morning. Would you be honest? As you got ready for bed last night and got things together and got up this morning, was it, was it just another day? Or was there by chance just a little bit of something extra special today because you haven't gotten over what Jesus did for you. You haven't gotten over the agony and the shame that he endured. And you're still so grateful of the life that you have in Jesus Christ. Or have you lost that gratitude? What, what represents you? If you've lost the gratitude, you've lost the glow. Why don't you repent of that this morning? Whatever you have allowed to steal your joy, and your surrender and your intimacy with Jesus through study of the word and prayer and obedience to his daily will, find that freshness today. Maybe the prayer you need to pray is this that represents your need. God, I thank you for saving my soul the day that you did. But God, I've lost the glow. That joy's not there like it once was. It's my fault. Nobody else's. No more excuses. I chose for it to happen. Forgive me, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that's mine now because you came up out of that grave. And God, burden my heart for the lostness that's ever around me. Father, you challenge your church. And I pray this, simply this, God, that each of us will not leave the way that we came, but we're going to leave even more closer to you, more committed to you, more surrender to your lordship, and more of a desire to finish well. Thank you, God, that we can experience life in you. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for us. God, you give the invitation. I pray we'll simply respond to what the Spirit of God calls us to do now. In Christ's name we pray. I want to invite you to stand to your feet.